Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And we have some Modern Horizons results for y'all in Modern. Yeah, I am pretty stoked to talk about this. I think that maybe our tone was a little negative last time. And you can argue whether that was fair or not. There's a problem in Modern right now. A giant Hogak-sized problem. And uh, I think it would be irresponsible not to acknowledge that. But below the surface, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening with Modern. And at some point, we're going to reach a post-Hogak world, be it through outside influence or people will just solve the problem and Hogak will actually trend down in metagame percentage, although that seems increasingly unlikely. But I I still think the technology we're seeing displayed over in the Magic Online 5.0 leagues is definitely worth checking out and taking stock of right now. Yeah, so far we've had three deck dumps from Magic Online, and it's worth noting also that they've combined the two leagues. There used to be a friendly modern league and a competitive modern league, and now those have been combined into the same thing, basically just because of a dwindling player base, thanks to Arena and you know Magic mm-hmm. Online just overall being crappy. But yeah, Hogak is, is obviously a problem, and... It, it made me very sad when Modern Horizons came out because there was a lot of cool stuff in the set and it got the brewing juices flowing and everything. And then people like started reporting on Hogak and how they were just like crushing their opponents. There are a lot of screenshots of like turn two kills and stuff like that. But then the first decklist dump happened and it was beautiful, Brian. Yeah, it really was. And I'll also say not only have these modern decklist dumps been fantastic, the legacy ones are nice too. Like Modern Horizons True. is doing work in both these formats. Yeah, which I love. And it's exciting for us because we have a legacy PTQ, MCQ this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both of us looks like, I would say I'm like 95% assured not to play the main event at my hometown GP this weekend, which seems pretty crazy. I didn't really think that would be a place I would get to. But, well, it's... Uh, it's not like you're staying home. You're still going. No, it's just I'm playing a PTQ every day. I will be there 100%. Right. It's just the incentives are not there to draw me to the actual main event. And I think there's a problem there that definitely needs to be sorted out. But I'm still looking forward to what's going to be a really fun weekend of magic, definitely. And really a four-day weekend. It's like a, this one actually feels like a magic fest. Like There's just going to be magic for days here. I think the problem, honestly, might just be that there's an MCQ on saturday right because if that wasn't there i would be playing in the main event yeah there's an alternative and you know if you take away all my alternatives i'll do the one thing but where there's anything else just right now i mean there's like there's a few issues right there's like no real op hook to gps anymore they're essentially just large ptqs there's no prestige hook because there's no coverage anymore so a lot of the upside to top 89 event like this has gone away and there's also just like a weird prizing thing happening with this one where there's two day ones and multiple rebuys and without any scaling incentives for the prize pool like that's kind of messed up in some ways i don't know i i get like there's some upside there and i think even I appreciate the option to like, if I was really into this GP, have two shots at it. That feels good, but I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that like, that's a real moneymaker. You're going to collect two entries from a lot of people. You don't have to give too much in return, especially given all the OP incentives also being taken away. So uh, there's a lot of field bats. Also, I have zero buys, 
for this GP, which is the first time I've been in that spot for a very long time. And like playing nine rounds of sealed with zero buys, not super appealing either. Yeah, I I believe I have one buy because I am bronze and maybe I have some Planeswalker points or whatever. But for clarity, I was I was in the MPL and was qualified for everything based on that. But over the course of the last year or so, and a lot of this has to do with the MPL and the fact that I was already platinum and stuff, was that I did not play in any GPs outside of the last GP Las Vegas. And the the only tournaments that I've gotten pro points from have been the last four PTs slash MCs. Now, with me no longer being in the MPL, I'm no longer qualified for everything. Uh, so I, it's, it's back to MCQs for me. Yeah, and thankfully we have many MCQs to play this weekend in many, many formats. Two sealed, one modern, one legacy. Pretty excited about that legacy MCQ for sure. Yeah, and I, I guess it's worth noting too that our team series team is in uh, the top eight of the team series thing. So I do have an invite to Barcelona. So I will be in Barcelona. But mm-hmm. after that, I got nothing. Yeah, you'll be back on the grind like the rest of us. Just uh, please, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Just please don't beat me in any meaningful spots. Please and thank you. Oh, uh, no, I'll, I'll probably just concede to you. So I know you will. And that actually is probably worse than <laughs> you, you beating me. But uh, yeah, I already know I'm in for that. We should also talk about why we're doing this deck dump show today. Yes. Uh, because uh, there is a new set being <laughs> previewed as we speak. Right. And people were like, oh, f- preview fatigue. I'm so sick of this. I don't know. I kind of love it. I kind of like just waking up Constant and seeing new, new magic cards, cards yeah. every day. And I play like a lot of magic and I'm also managing a lot of different collections between like online for arena and to some extent magic online and then also in real life. So I am definitely feeling the like, all right, you know, Wizards is trying to get a lot of my money. I get it. And for a lot of people that can be a huge cost. But I don't know, for for me, as far as like making content and seeing new cool cards, I'm very happy about this. But I am not sure how much longer things can last at this rate. But uh, regardless, we pulled the fine people of our Discord and just to see whether or not they wanted to hear about things like Modern and Modern Horizons because it just came out and we just played a Modern tournament last weekend. There are MCQs coming up, et cetera, et cetera. So it was that versus Corset 2020 previews like we would normally do. And it was about two to one favorite maybe in favor of modern. So here we are. Yeah. And I, I get that. I totally respect. It just feels like we've done a ton of preview shows lately. Like we went right from war of the spark into modern horizons. Right. Yeah. We want to talk some metagame as well. And uh, I, I'm happy we get the chance to talk a little modern this week. We'll probably come back to M20 next week with a little bit more fulsome look at the set, but uh, I've liked what I've seen so far. Cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Yeah, me too. One thing I will note is that some of the feedback we got was that people would prefer to have the top 10 shows or the preview shows done after the entire set is previewed, which does make a lot of sense. And we haven't heard that much uh, too much before, but if that is how people feel, like if an overwhelming majority of people feel that way, like by all means, let us know, like we are open to taking feedback and we want to make shows that the people want to listen to. You know, we are not here for us. We are here for you. 100%. Well said. Anyway, we are going to do the third deck list dump from Magic Online. We're going to be skipping over 
some of this stuff. Like, for example, there's just a, a normal Grixis Death Shadow deck in here that we're just not going to be talking about because we want to talk about new cards and, you know, talking about things like Grixis Death Shadow with no new cards doesn't really get us anywhere. So uh, this is the decklist dump from June 18th. Like I said, there are three of them up. So if y'all have not been checking out these decklists, you absolutely should because mm-hmm. I, I, I like seeing ideas. I like seeing what other people are doing. And I think it's very important to you know, kind of picking up a little bit of technology before anyone else can. Yeah. And let's, let's actually be real specific about where we're getting these deck lists. Cause every time we do one of these shows, someone messages me and is like, where do I actually see these decks? And it's weird because I think you and I very much take this for granted. We've been coming to this website basically every day for, I don't even know how many years now, but obviously there's a lot of new players to magic right now. It's a time of growth. So we'll be real specific about it. And you're going to go to the Wizards homepage. The easiest way to do this, just go to Google, search for Magic Online Decklists. It'll be the first result you see. Click on it, jam it, and then you'll see a list of just these deck dumps. You scroll down a little bit, you'll see the Modern League. What is it called exactly, Jerry? Modern League. It's just called MTGO Standings Modern League, June 18th. And just click right on there. And those are the decklists we're talking about. And the the page where the deck lists are, I just have bookmarked in all of my browsers. So it is very Same. easy to every day just hit that link, see what new deck lists are posted. Sometimes it's like a popper thing and I just won't check it out. But uh, over the weekend, they have a bunch of challenges and stuff and uh, deck lists go up from that and a bunch of different various formats. You can also just go to mtgo.com. And then if you scroll down a little bit towards like the top middle, uh, there's just a thing that says deck list that you can click on. It'll take you right to it. Yeah, I would just read off the browser URL, but it's super, it's magic.wizards.com slash en slash content slash deck dash list dash magic dash online dash products dash game dash info. So if you'd like to just type that in, you can do so, but just search for it in Google. Trust me. Yep. Okay. First deck list from J65536D. This is a Bant splashing red. Uh, Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl creature-based Bring Delight deck that kills with a bunch of Restoration Angels and Kiki Jiki. Let's not forget that Niv-Mizzet Reborn. It's splashing black, too. We're going the full five colors off of Manamorphose. I mean, people are trying stuff like this right now, and I will say, I do think Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl has been incredibly underappreciated in modern's history and we saw a little bit if you watch the invitational edgar and pete ingram and that team showed up with an arbor elf utopia sprawl base take on uh essentially the devoted druid combo mixed in with karn uh and it was really cool to see that card get a little shine in kind of a top tier deck list it deserves more play i doubt this is the most efficient way to do it, it with this wall of blossoms restoration angel monstrosity but it does show exactly what this mana base is capable of yeah, you can do basically whatever you want. I mean, Utopia Sprawl gets the name a different color. You have Fetch Shock Mana Base. You have Birds of Paradise. So you can go kind of ham. And this player also has three copies of Mana Morphos in their deck too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can you can do a lot of cool things. Like, like you said, I'm not sure this is the best way to take it. Like, you know, bring Delight for Niv-Mizzet to draw like two cards. I don't know, whatever. Or Kiki. I mean, we got the Kiki-Jiki combo here. We're, we're doing a little bit of everything. <laughs> Everything's jammed in here. Yeah, and Teferi Time Raveler is showing up a lot in these creature-based combo decks because it protects your combo and it's a nice three-drop to play on turn two. So 
there's definitely a lot of room for exploration here. And also there's a lot of room for exploration with just the card bring to light in general. Like we're seeing some new scapeshift decks pop up too. Yeah. And also just some Niv-Mizzet decks. So this is one of those things where it's like, oh, Hogak is ruining the format, all these turn three kills, blah, blah, blah. And then you see people having success with this. And it's like, well, is it really? I mean, we're, we're not quite there yet. I don't think we're, enough people are playing Hogak and trying to kill your opponent on turn three. And if you're looking for cool things to do in modern, there is no shortage. They do exist. Yeah. There, there's a high barrier to entry and uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to do anything like this in a particularly high stakes tournament, but in the leagues, these ideas definitely merit testing. Right. Uh, next up we have Jake's baked with 12 uh, suspend cards from like the time spiral cycle, including crashing footfalls from Modern Horizons and casting those with As Foretold and Electra Dominance. So Ancestral Vision, Crashing Footfalls, Restore Balance with Greater Gargadon, a couple Finalia Promises, uh, some mm-hmm. Faithless Lootings, also Utopia Sprawl in this deck list, which I think is cool. One of the things that I tried to do with these decks was like, can you play Dreadhorde Arcanist and... Obviously, it's a little weird with Restore Balance because you want it to be an actual board wipe, but if you have Greater Gargadon, it's kind of whatever. And you have things like Faithless Looting to put them in your graveyard already for Finale. Uh, and then there's also Collected Conjuring, I think is the name of the card, the Sorcery Collected Company that could potentially see play in this deck list because you have 12 insane hits off it. So these decks are close. Like I, I, every single time we do a preview and there's a way to cast these cards... I get real excited because these decks feel very close to me. And on the topic of crashing footfalls, this just might be a good card. I'm telling you, this card is extremely, extremely underrated right now, not only in modern, but also in legacy. And you don't really have to get up to tricks with it. I I think it's just fine to like use your mana proactively on turn one, develop your game plan, and then cash in your crashing footfalls at a turn when you're like finally ready to play games on real terms like there's real spells you have to deal with now you want all your resources available but you've gotten your clock with very little investment in the early turns and you and i were debating this card i mentioned this is only minus two points of damage on turn seven from a delver that flipped naturally on turn two so that compares very well and obviously that's missing a lot of context and it doesn't account for removal and all that but just on raw rate you're very close with crashing footfalls i think this card is incredibly important Uh, i also noticed on Twitter today, Dizzy, who old school magic streamer, the cube master from back in the day, was playing a modern deck list very much built around this same kind of interaction, electro dominance, crashing footfalls, did have Dreadhorde Arcanist as opposed to something like Restore Balance, and picked up a 5-0. So you'll certainly see a deck list in the next deck list dump with that kind of look. But crashing footfalls, subtly important card from Modern Horizons, and one that's going to see more play as time goes on. Yeah, uh, Felix Slew, aka X File MTG, has also been crushing people with Jund with a couple copies of Crashing Footfalls. So mm-hmm. between that and like Ren and Six, Unearth, Season Pyromancer, like Jund also got a lot of cool tools. Yeah, we're gonna get to that in a bit, I think. I think so. Uh, next up, we have Spider Space, and they they've been playing this deck a decent amount. This is Mono White Eldrazi, uh, notable. Uh, I guess kind of upgrades our Sunbaked Canyon to Horizon Canopy so that you have ways to actually cast your Simian Spirit Guide. Sure. Sure. But the the big thing for me is two copies of Winds of Abandon. 
And these decks used to play a couple copies of Declaration in Stone, but this deck is also pretty reasonable at just getting to six mana and having something like Winds of Abandon to just KO humans, I think is incredible for this archetype because humans was basically the reason I did not play this deck at uh, PT Bilbao. That makes sense. Have, have you had Winds of Abandon cast against you yet? Not yet, because I haven't been playing with a lot of creatures, but I imagine it's quite good. So I've I was playing uh, limited yesterday and had a Winds of Abandon cast against me for like seven creatures, and in limited it's just heartbreaking, right? Because you basically can't play around it. You have to assume your opponent doesn't have it in most instances. Obviously, there's right. some little flex, but man, is this card a blowout? And it's just a fine removal spell on its face. It's acceptable. We'll say that. It's an acceptable removal spell in its normal mode. But game-breaking, when you get to Overload, I think more decks are going to pick up this card, too. This is one that's still being a little undervalued as it stands. Yeah, I think wins is huge, especially in the human decks that uh, we've seen Jeskai 5-0 a couple times at this point, uh, moving away from the five-color mana base and being able to play actual sideboard cards. Wins of Abandon is a huge, just not even mirror breaker, but like creature matchup breaker. Mm-hmm. And also worth noting, I guess, is uh, Battlefield Forge and some wear tears in the sideboard and like a Nahiri. So you get to do like these cool mini splashes in decks like this if you want. Yeah, some red pickups. I also like seeing Takotli Honor Guard make its way into modern. Fine pickup for creature-based decks that really want to stop some humans shenanigans and things like that. Yeah, Honor Guard is like one of the best cards against humans. Ditto Torpor Orb. Uh, it's... Basically, I like if I had thought about this as a sideboard option against humans, mm-hmm. I, I think it could have potentially changed my opinion of the matchup. But between Honor Guard and Winds of Abandon, I think that the matchup got a lot better. Yeah, seems like it. Uh, next up, we have Esper Control. Not a lot of new stuff here. Just a couple copies of Kaya's Guile and another in the sideboard. No Force of Negations, which is the card that you would expect to see here. So kind of surprising. I hate Kaya's Guile so much. I just don't buy this as a reasonable card. The Hogag decks are like routinely beating Ravenous Trap plus like Surgical Extraction plus Rest in Peace. And you're relying on this three mana spell to contain them. I just don't buy it. I mean, I do think you need to make concessions to Graveyard. It's nice that you get some flexibility from Kaya's Guile. So I'll concede that while the metagame is as warped as it is, it makes sense to try stuff like this. And in combination with two Nile Spellbomb, maybe it's enough. Maybe it is a difference maker there. But I I think the metagame has to be in a pretty warped place for this to be an actual playable card. We could be there. I mean, okay, like we keep saying, real problem. Finish first, second, and third in the Modern Challenge this week. So that is a pretty clear sign of a busted deck. And that's in a week when all anyone talked about was Hogak. So yeah, start doing things like Kaya's Guile that maybe in a broader sense, I I don't think this card is there on power level, but you got to do something right now. And this is worth a shot. Yeah, Kaya's Guile definitely a little bit on the weaker side. One thing I will point out, though, is that the Nile spell bombs are key and just generally... Having Kaya's Guile as your graveyard hate is not going to be that effective because, as you mentioned, it is very slow. It's very clunky. But if you decide that you are going to play four main deck graveyard hate cards, I do think that there is a lot to be gained from playing like three small ones and one expensive one or like semi expensive mm-hmm. one that's like a little bit different, gets you a little bit more versatility. Because if you ever draw two in combination, it is much better that way, right? Like, you could draw two Nile Spell Bombs and it's good, but if you draw a Nile Spell Bomb and a Kaya's Guile, you get like a little bit of additional value. And that's something that I do with my sideboards a decent amount of the time. 
But obviously the the one thing that makes it look really bad is when you just draw one one piece and it's the one Kaya's Guile and not the other stuff. But I think that it's still more reasonable to mix up the things that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, next up, C-M-E-K-S. C-M-E-K-S? I don't know. Yeah, uh, this is Yeah, this is, this is the Jun deck we talked about. Two copies of Ren and Six, uh, also a Nile Spellbomb main deck, two season Pyromancer, one Unearth, and some Collector Oofs in the sideboard, a Weather the Storm Plague Engineer, which has been a big pickup for a lot of these black mid-range decks, and then uh, one copy of Nurturing Peatland, too. So a lot of MH1 cards showing up. Yeah, Plague Engineer, uh, probably, again, more impactful than it appears at first blush. There's some really good names against a lot of decks. Like, it's fine against Hogak. You can find spots to use it there. It doesn't solve any problems, but like the fact that you can bring it in that matchup and not feel bad about it gets at some points. And then obviously there are tribal decks that exist in the format and Plague Engineer does a great job targeting them. I want to say something about Ren and Six. So just narrowly missed my top 10 in Modern. This would be my number one Legacy card though. I, yeah. I think this is actually a game changer in Legacy. The fact that you get access to Wasteland Lock without having to play a card like Life from the Loam. Like Ren and Six is a very real card in the Legacy format. Think about how many creatures that matter have one point of toughness. There's Young Pyromancer. There's Delver of Secrets. There's Dark Confidant. There's this basically unending list of super, super important creatures that Ren and Six just cleans up with no hesitation and add that to the fact it can Wasteland Lock your opponent out of games. I'm kind of all about this card right now. And it's actually really tearing me because obviously I'm coming off a very good result with Blue Red Delver. And I think that deck got some marginal improvements as well. But on the whole, Ren and Six is really appealing and I might just have to run something with uh, less testing and just some belief in just how good this card is. Yeah, the, the the big difference maker between Modern and Legacy for sure is Wasteland. Wasteland, yeah. As for how excited I am for this card, I, I do think that it does have a place in Modern. It can certainly show up in decks like Jund as this value engine and as a way to pick off like basically all the, the cards that you mentioned, like Young Pyromancer, Lingering Souls Tokens, uh, Noble Hierarch, Thalia, etc., yeah. Uh, so I, I do think Ren and Six is still solid. It's just not like completely busted like it is in Legacy. Agree. Next up, we have Underwater Bimbo with Blue Red Delver, 15 lands, four Force of Negation. Uh, three of those lands are Fiery Islets. This is a Legacy deck. I mean, this just looks like uh, straight up what Legacy is trying to accomplish. And the full four for some negation. We haven't seen too many decks go that route. If this deck can exist, it's because you have access to the full four for some negation. There's some matchups where you're you're just going to struggle having four force of negation in your deck. And Force of Will doesn't really have that same problem. Certainly there's matchups where it's worse, but there's nothing like humans where it's just a stone blank and you don't have brainstorm to shuffle away force of negation. So you kind of need the matchups to line up right. But this is a way to punish like combo based approaches and more fair things like say Jund. I really like a build like this. It's a cool approach. I honestly don't think that it's that bad, at least in game one, because you can always just snap that off on their vial. And I think that that's a huge tempo boost to the point where okay. you could probably just run them over. Obviously you would just side it out very quickly, but this, this deck is very interesting to me because it's, it's 15 land and the big complaint for Delver of secrets in modern was there aren't enough, 
hits. Like you mm-hmm. can't make it naturally transform as easily as you can in legacy and being able to cut lands. Now that you have this free form of interaction and uh, this deck also plays what 14 cantrips. That's a good recipe for success. And then that also makes the Terramanders very good. So I, I kind of like where this is. And we've seen a lot of decks that are very similar to this actually showing up in modern now. I wish we could get up to some Dreadhorde Arcanist shenanigans. I understand why we're not in this instance, but I, I just love that card right now. I have a weakness. What can I say? I think it's better than Young Pyromancer. I don't care. Even with the Terramanders, you're fine just playing it alongside Terramander? Uh, yeah, I guess that is kind of I, enough, I think though. that's the tension point. And there's Snapcaster Mage, too. Like, there's yeah. only so many things you can really bring back. I mean, maybe it should be there over Snapcaster Mage. Maybe that's the actual, the actual answer we're looking for. Maybe. Uh, I feel like if you are Arcanisting a cantrip, you will likely find another spell at some point, especially with such a low land count, to the point mm-hmm. where it might be fine. It just means that your Terramander will take longer because you'll have to spend time then casting those cards to put them in the graveyard to transform Terramander, but... Maybe that's okay. Yeah, I think that that might be okay. Especially, you know, with Arcanist, you're, you know, doing things like maybe killing their creatures or whatever. Like, you're you're just going to be able to prolong the game, and at that point, you just need a 5-5 flyer at some point. It doesn't have to be right away. Right. Yeah, I, I think this is something worth exploring for sure. Well, next deck is Mono Red Prison. So I think Nothing we're just going to skip, skip yeah. it. Not even Snowlands. Get out of here. Yep. Uh, next deck is Blue White Control. Also, no new cards. Yeah, I I will mention this as a deck that can play for Rest in Peace pretty happily, which is important right now. But I, I fired off the Blue White Control Gambit this past weekend, and I felt the pain of this deck in all of its form. It's just, it's the same problem. It's like miss a land drop and you lose. And that's the end of it. You have no way to steal tempo. Whereas every other deck in the format is pretty much just based around cheating mana all the time. It felt bad a lot of the times. And I I know there's value in it. Like I said, your answers line up really well right now. The planeswalkers are great, but it's not the deck for me in modern. Yeah. I mean, we'll revisit it in six months, I'm sure, but we'll also just get taught the same lesson again. Probably. All right, you got to love this next deck. This is from Acousti. This is Rakdos with four Dark Confidant, four Dreadhorror Arcanist, two Season Pyromancer, uh, a suite of one of creatures, uh, Reckless Charge to go with the Dreadhorror Arcanist, which is kind of nice. A couple mm-hmm. copies of Unearth, some yep. Faithless Lootings, and yep. then just like kind of junty stuff. Yeah, I kind of love this one. I, I think there's probably some numbers to be cleaned up. and Oh, yeah. You know, you could get a little bit more focus in the deck, but there's a lot of good stuff going on here. It, it's weird how incentivized you are, you are to have like that I win button in modern. It's something I've always talked about with these fair decks. And one of the reasons why when Mardu Pyromancer showed up, I, I bought in because I, I think the Blood Moon angle is important if you're going to play this style of deck. And, and it seems to be in a good place in modern in general right now is Blood Moon. There's a little bit more mana-based diversity than there previously was. So... This approach appeals to me. I toss the rabble master. We don't need that nonsense. Kalidus, I don't know, maybe. And you probably need to just be cognizant of the format you're playing in and do a little bit more to target graveyards, hard target graveyards. But other than that, I, I like a lot of what's happening here. I'll have you know that I 4-1 to league with Mardu last night and I had zero blood moons. Okay. What's the 
I mean, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that. I, I think there may actually be a Mardu approach somewhere on this list. If not, we'll come back around to Mardu because I do want to hear your thoughts on that. Okay. Uh, I, I went 9-2 in games. The only games I lost were in the match I lost. It was very unfortunate. Sounds pretty good. Uh, next up, we have a list from Hemsley. This is another blue-red Delver of Secrets deck. 22 lands, a little bit bigger with four copies of Archmage's Charm. A magmatic sinkhole, no force of negations, unfortunately. But mm-hmm. Delver, Delver is actually showing up in modern. Yeah, what a world. we'll see. We'll see if that sticks. I think it's probably a good thing for modern if Delver does start to show up. Twenty-two lands feels like a lot. Like I know we have Archmage's Charm, but it seems like we could probably lose a couple of those lands and maybe get our counts because I think this deck has the classic Delver problem where the counts are. A little scary and i want a few more instants and sorceries here and probably starting with force yeah 25 spells currently which is it's okay but it's it's definitely not great i mean you you are sub 50 percent, right so right yeah i think that's a little bit problematic especially in the absence of uh something like brainstorm of course yeah and i think it's pretty easy to actually just trim two lands for some cantrips there are four ops and three serum visions already so mm-hmm yeah. Even even with two copies of Cryptic Command in the deck, you're you're okay. Think so. And blue red deck with sideboard leyline of the void and surgical extraction. So being very cognizant of the fact that hey, graveyards are a problem. Yeah, probably still not enough to beat Hogak. Probably not even close, actually, but <laughs> you gotta try. Uh next up we have Fake Shaver playing Mono Blue Merfolk with four force of negations. I believe Fake Shaver is uh, Benji Ashman, who I didn't even know still played Magic. So that's yeah, that's great. an old school name. Like I, I used to see Fake Shaver all the time back in the day. Yeah, version two, version three. Right. But yeah, this uh, this is this is good. This makes sense. Uh, Merfolk definitely interested in having something that stops non-creature spells, so that they're able to tap out, actually develop their battlefield. And not get got by like an Ugin or Ostone or Wrath of God or whatever. And they had gone so far as to play copies of Deprive before. Mm-hmm. So Force of Negation makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Let's see if that's enough to maybe finally get this tribe some run. You can see the appeal of having an aggressive deck, which can also mess with mana bases. If you expect a lot of big mana type approaches, uh, maybe this is the aggressive deck you're actually looking for. And you can see four ceremonious rejection sitting in the sideboard, ready to handle any cards that might show up. Uh, also here, four Graft Digger's Cage, one Ravenous Trap. I-, I mean, we're getting to the point where like we should probably be seeing dredge level Graveyard hate, which if you remember yep. the heyday of dredge, like four ley line, three crypts. Yeah, seven Let's pieces go. was basically your minimum, or you just didn't have anything to stand against. But the problem is this Hogak deck can just like anemically beat you down. But when Dredge anemically beat you down, you were looking at like a 12 turn clock, whereas Hogak's like six, seven turns. And that's not that much time when you're playing down two or three cards. Yeah, I will note that I don't really like Grafdigger's Cage as the hate card against Hogak because it doesn't stop Bridge from below and it doesn't stop them just casting Hogak from hand. Sure. Yeah, that's problematic. So I, I would, I don't know. I would just rather see more Ravenous Traps or anything, really. Also, I, I think Merfolk could take pretty good advantage of Unsettled Mariner, which I've not seen show up in very many lists, but mm-hmm. that's kind of whatever. Yeah, I might have to give up the Muta Vaults if you take that approach or, you know, certainly have to give up the 14 Island, which 
14 Island is a beautiful thing where you're just always jamming that nice, clean, basic. It feels very, very good. Oh, I know. I know. All right. Next deck is from Gasigan. This is a very strange take on uh, the Thopter Foundry sort of the meat combo. Yeah. You have, you have Goblin Engineer, uh, four copies of that, four copies of Psy, four Chalice of the Void, no word of invention, a lot of colorless land, Blast Zone, Darkseal Citadel, Ghost Quarters, Seagate Wreckage, and also four copies of Walking Ballista and three Arcbound Ravagers. So kind of this weirdo backup plan. I don't really get it. No Urza's either, which is right. pretty incredible. I mean, I, I have now played against Urza a few times. That card is absurd. I, I don't think the shell is correct around it yet, and people are still figuring that out. But just as a card, Urza, very, very silly. So yeah, basically we're we're doing the same type of prisony approach, but instead of tutoring and this incredible bomb, we have this walking ballista arcbound ravager beatdown plan. Maybe it's enough. Maybe it changes matchups significantly and uh, is actually just a faster clock than something like Urza coming down. I'm inclined to go with the power card here as opposed to this kind of makeshift approach. I don't think you have to rely on stuff like this anymore. Yeah, I agree. So we're going to skip over... Boreo's Vengeance. I was trying to remember the name of that deck. Yep. And a very normal dredge deck. Totally normal. And on to a <laughs> black-white mid-range deck featuring four copies of Kaya's Guile. You got to love this. Again, you got to do something. And this is this qualifies as doing something. Uh, Nile Spellbomb, though. Come on. Yeah, you probably want a few copies of that as well, I think. And playing Utter End is... That's something. Uh, not a card I expected to really ever see again, quite frankly. Right. But here it is. And I, I I, think this is maybe one of the best graveyard hate approaches you could take. You see four rest in peace in the sideboard as well. This person did not want to lose to Hogak any longer and uh, was kind of committed to that idea. I think the whole like four Kaya's Guile is like try and cobble together some kind of game one against other decks, but you need to fix that in post. And then try and always be advantage against Hogak, but I, I don't believe this accomplishes that. I'll say I'll say that. This is probably uh, an effort that's missing the mark. Or you can do in better ways, too. I do like that uh, Kaya's Guile with Dark Confidant and Phyroxene Arena means that the, the four life is not insignificant. Like, okay. It, it does keep your confidants live for much longer and allows you to actually just jam on turn two and like not really be scared of the consequences, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, next up, Mox Emperor with Sultai Reclamation. One Ice Fang Coatl main deck, the other three in the sideboard. Obviously, some Snowlands. Not a huge amount of stuff here. Also, like a Waterlog Grove, a Force of Vigor, but mostly the same deck. Yeah, not a huge amount of changes. I think this deck continues to have some matchup problems, can do some very powerful stuff, but it, it hasn't fixed that matchup problem with these additions. Give this deck more time, though. I, I think there'll be a point where this gets all the pieces and can do powerful stuff in the format. Uh, next deck is Mono Red Goblins, uh, basically with no new cards. So kind of surprising, but makes sense, I suppose. This is the Goblin Grenade version. Yeah, this is a little old school. It seems like there should be good adds to this deck, shouldn't there? Uh, to, to the aggressive one, I don't know. I mean, it, it all seems like very grindy, sacrifice stuff. Okay. Uh, next deck is from Cmos 21 Naya Big Monsters, up to and including Wooly Thoktar, who is not even good enough for standard. Ooh, that's, that's speculative. 
This deck is nice, okay? You have Ranger Captain of Eos for Hexdrinker. Hexdrinker is a card I've seen pop up in some Jun lists, in some Black Green mm-hmm. midrange decks. Yep. It's looked like very close to being playable. The the front end, like the 2-1 body, is not great. And Protection from Instance has some problems. At the tournament we were at last weekend, I saw a pro instance Hex Drinker get bounced by Teferi Time Raveler, and mm. it's just, it's so bad. But this is interesting, and then also some main deck collector oofs. Huh. Shuts down Alter. One. It does. It does. And there are some Urza decks floating around. Uh, yeah, maybe I can buy that one. Uh, three seems like a lot. I, I, I like it in decks that can tutor it up reliably through things like Summoner's Pact. I think having one main deck copy makes a lot of sense right now. Interesting though. This is this is an interesting deck. Like you said, Thoktar, you assume there's a better option. I do love Ranger Captain of Eos, though. And I think especially in combination with Hex Drinker, that's a nice get because Hex Drinker is secretly a four drop anyway. Like that's really when you're looking for that card to come online. And basically you just want to jam the three levels, untap, and then look to win the game if your opponent, you know, leaves you any kind of window. So and when you have four copies, I guess you can do a little bit more with the aggressive side. Like you're not trying to protect as much. You'll just jam your early one and then go grab another one later with Ranger Captain. Probably worth noting you can do like Ranger Captain stuff to protect the Hex Drinker in some spots if you need to, like going into your opponent's turn if you're concerned about some kind of sorcery speed removal. But there's not much sorcery speed removal being played now anyway, so that's probably not too much of an issue. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, next deck, this is it. This is the stuff right here. Luxor, 777, 23 land, Mardu Pyromancer, four season Pyromancer, four young Pyromancer, two Yawgmoth Thran Physician to take advantage of all those tokens. Mm-hmm. Also has four Lingering Souls. No more Bedlam Revelers. And this is kind of the shell that I was working off of because this is 5 would a couple times now. And I had opponents just like through muscle memory siding in Leyline of the Void against me. And it just doesn't really do that much anymore. Yeah, not much vulnerability here. The big get here is multiple copies of Smiting Helix to give your lootings and Season Pyromancers additional value and also having a life gain card to go along with Yawgmoth. And the deck was nice, man. It, it needs some tuning for sure. So where do you differ from this approach? Like, Give us your early version of tuning for Mardu Pyromancer because Mardu Pyromancer is an archetype that people really have gravitated towards. Like I see you get this question all the time. How do I fix Mardu Pyromancer? Can Mardu Pyromancer come back? People want this deck to be good very badly. It's legit. I think it is actually good again. My list was only playing 21 land. And I think, I think going up a land makes sense because you are trying to hit three mana on turn three, which wasn't really your, your MO last time. And you have some more, prohibitive mana cost like smiting helix but from this list i'm minus two land minus three brutality i swap path with fatal push and i think i had a third fatal push six discard spells probably just some some random nonsense instead Mm -hmm. uh what did i have because i i consider playing sinkhole and angress rampage i didn't play either one of those but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I will write about this deck at some point. I might even MCQ with it this weekend. We'll see how I'm feeling. Interesting. And four season Pyromancer is the way to go in this archetype, 100%. Oh, I know. I know what I had. I had three co- or two copies of Unearth. Okay. Yeah. Seems like a great pickup with season Pyromancer for sure. Yeah. So you can like just loot away one of them and unearth it on the cheap and get like this huge battlefield presence. And yeah, nice. Yeah. Unearth, Unearth is excellent. 
And Smiting Helix was also very, very good. I only played the three copies, but I, I could see playing a fourth maybe. So I imagine it's kind of filling the same role, a fine matchup versus the creature-based decks. You're beating up on humans, some weaknesses to decks that go big, like obviously you haven't fixed anything with Tron, but Tron at an all-time low, I would say right now, very little Troning going on these days. Is that a fair assessment of where this deck's kind of metagame edge lies right now? Yeah, I, I think what happened with Season Pyromancer, Smiting Helix, Yawgmoth is that you actually got better against like creatures and mid-range decks. You can grind a little bit better against control decks too, which is nice. Mm-hmm. You're not as reliant on the graveyard for Bedlam Reveler, and you're not as reliant on Bedlam Reveler actually resolving. So you can just like jam Season Pyromancer, if, even if they counter it, it, it's fine because you have effectively the flashback on the card, which gives you more lingering souls to attack their planeswalkers and stuff. Right. Going long, you just don't really run out of gas with this deck anymore, which is pretty insane. Game one versus Hogak, no chance, right? I mean, this doesn't seem like it lines oh. up well with what they're doing whatsoever. I also had three Nile Spellbombs mean. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I assume it probably that in conjunction with more Graveyard Hate in the sideboard. Yeah, I didn't play Leyline of the Void. I had... Uh, uh, three ravenous traps, I think, or like two okay. traps and one something. Maybe it was actually a Kai's Guile. And just in general, like, how do you if you if you were to rank the graveyard hate pieces specifically against Hogak, how do you see them stacking up right now? I mean, Leyline is the best, right? Or or rest in peace. In theory, they can get under rest in peace, but Leyline is a thing that you can potentially just mulligan for. It it is free. They are going to have some amount of answers for it, but it's kind of whatever. And then things things like surgical are tough because you need to you want to hit like the hogax and the bridges and the blood gas, and right. you just have like too many things. I think it is a reasonable stopgap. Same thing with Nile Spellbomb. Like Spellbomb is just a card that you'll play, and then you'll probably have to use without even drawing a card. And then hopefully you are able to hit them with like multiple spell bombs, multiple traps over the next few turns, while also dealing with like their carry and feeder beatdown. You know. Okay. But yeah, Leyline, rest in peace, even though those are the ones that they're they're prepared for, I, I think are fine. Especially Leyline in a deck with discard spells is very potent. Sure. A little bit more ability to protect it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we can move on or or we could just keep talking about Mardu. I'm, I'm game. Just change it to a Mardu cast. I'm sure <laughs> many people would be on board with that. I'm not wearing my Mardu shirt right now, but I could. I could go grab it. Always could put it on. On to the next deck, Irakuma. Blue-white control, three force of negations, uh, 25 land, eight planeswalkers, two of each. No new cards in the sideboard. So yeah, just force of negation. Yeah, force of negation, a good pickup for this deck, I think. Uh, being able to just tap out and play Narset and then have force of negation backup. I wish there were more Narset. I think if you're going down the road of force of negation, you want to push the Narset angle a little bit harder. So I would like to see at least three copies here. But otherwise, this is a fine approach. Uh, everything I said previously still stands, but I, I do think this deck is good despite my own personal complaints right now. Yep. Uh, next up, Sultai for Life playing Demir. Yeah, so liar. Sad. Liar. Lying. Okay, so four Liliana the Veil, three Narset, two Jace the Mind Sculptor, two Dark Confidant, two Jace, three Snapcaster Mage. So kind of Jundi. This is maybe an evolution of the fairies deck that Yuta Takahashi was kind of crushing GPs with. Yeah, yeah. Three Force of Negation, two Surgical Extraction in the main deck. Also a Gyro Reach Sanitarium to go with the Narsets, which I really like. Yeah, this is cool. 
I don't think this deck was previously like struggling because it didn't have force of negation. Like that probably wasn't its problem. And this deck kind of wants to push towards a resource light game state with Liliana the Veil anyway. And I'm going to do a quick count. How's our blue count here? 17. A little, yeah, a little low. A little yeah, low for I, force I, negation. I was, I was doing that count too. Yeah, so I, that's a lesson modern players are certainly going to have to uh, start to wrap their heads around. Need those blue counts to be acceptable. And this is certainly flirting with the border of acceptable. I actually think Force of Negation with Liliana is probably a combo and not a nombo because okay. either you force their thing and then play Liliana or you play Liliana and then force their thing. And you're trying, like you said, you're trying to play a low resource game. So like you don't really mind just spewing off resources. And especially when you have Liliana on the battlefield and you're hellbent and you get to tick up, it's a nice feeling, right? Because you're just getting that card back anyway. Sure. I think one of the things I'm always watching for with decks like this is like, what is their catch-up mechanism? What does their catch-up turn look like? Like, how do they turn the corner? And the play pattern you're talking about makes a lot of sense. Like Liliana protected with force and negation seems like a very good way to start turning the corner. And I I think this is probably a Liliana deck above everything else and correctly plays four copies. So I like that approach. I'm not sure the catch-up mechanism is enough yet. Like there needs to be something else that's doing this a little bit more efficiently. And one of the ways I talked about doing this, I wrote about Sultai Fairies this week. And one of the ways you can do that is by getting like dual uses out of your spells and just making sure your general CMCs are super low. And there's a little bit of of that here. There's a lot of one mana spells, but there's also the four mana, the multiple three mana spells. So I think a little bit too clunky here for me but I want this deck to be good. I'll certainly play it at some point. I think this deck is pretty lean, actually, because you have the pushes and uh, six discard spells, and then you have Force of Negation Surgical, which are free, Mm -hmm. and you're using all the cheap spells to supplement the Planeswalkers, which is where you want to be, right? Like, Planeswalkers love having cheap spells because you can play a Planeswalker on three and, like, eat their Tarmogoy for whatever. Next turn, you can play a Planeswalker and a spell. Like, that's exactly what you want to be doing. So I think the catch-up is mostly just the turn where you have the second Planeswalker. Okay. Okay. I mean... I'm not saying it's perfect, but... Yeah, I I see the clunk coming in at, like, the two Jace the Mind Sculptor, two Dark Confidant, two Jace Vryn Prodigy. I'm not sure if any of those things are actually in line with what you're trying to ultimately accomplish. Like, there may be cleaner ways to do that. I think you're still seeing Jace in a lot of these decks where like Narset's just good enough in a lot of spots. Uh, maybe not here though. Maybe there's just not enough raw cards if you were just relying on Narset. But I don't think you need all six of those cards. Like there's something a little bit tighter you can be doing there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I look at this like this is kind of what I was talking about with the Nile Spellbomb Kaya's Guile thing earlier, where it's like you want four to five card draw planeswalkers. It makes sense to split three Narset two Jace because by the time you actually want to play a card draw planeswalker, you probably have four mana anyway. Mm. And it makes more sense to draw one and one than two of either one of them. Uh, so it makes sense to me to have some sort of like big effect where like a Jace brainstorm can actually just get you right back in the game. Whereas like a Narset minus you're still sort of treading water. Okay. Interesting. Well, we'll have to see how this archetype develops. Uh, Like I said, right up my alley. Definitely something I'd be interested in spending some time on. All right. Next deck is Sven Sveeter Sven. Teamer. I like this deck. Delver of Secrets, 19 land, four Dreadhorde Arcanist, four Soul Scar Mage, 
three Atarka's Command. Atarka's Command is nice with Red Horde Arcanist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was one of the actual first builds I ever saw in Modern with Red Horde Arcanist. Uh, something very close to this. This only picked up a couple new cards. There's a Seasoned Pyromancer, uh, Fiery Islets, and then some sideboard cards. But yeah, this was this was the first spot I saw with Red Horde Arcanist, and I was like, I totally buy this. That's a lot of damage very, very quickly you get from Atarka's Command, especially if you start going wide with things like Season Pyromancer, Delver of Secrets all over this deck dump. Really, really cool thing to see for a card that just never quite made it. I mean, I think there were brief moments of like Teamer or Sultai Delver going back many years now, but they were always brief. And usually it ended with the Delvers being cut from the deck and finding a better deck in the end. But maybe the card's having a bit of a renaissance right now. 26 hits, okay-ish. Like we said, that's always going to be a pressure point. Would like a few more. Not sure how you squeeze them in here though. Piracy Charm is also kind of nice with Arcanist. That's a good pickup. Yeah, I haven't seen too much of that card. I have to think about if there's a way to get that into the Legacy version. Probably a little bit too thin there, but it's a removal spell for some problematic creatures. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on if there's a three-mana card that you want to flashback. Like, this deck has three Wizards Lightnings, which it would like to flashback, so it makes sense to have two Piracy Charms. Mm-hmm. And usually in the legacy versions, you're usually just dealing with like an abraid is the main multi mana card. And then it's just like days and things you wouldn't flash back anyway. Right. Uh, next up, we have uh, Hugo 87's take on storm. Only one fiery islet for new cards would really like to see some Aria flames in this deck. Yeah, I knew you were saying that before you did. And uh, I, I agree with you. It's proven itself to me as a way for these decks to get away from Graveyard Reliance very, very cleanly. If nothing else, there needs to be copies in the sideboard, 100%. Yep. Dodge's Graveyard Hate. Game. Yep. That, that's yep. all you care about. Uh, next deck is Grixis Urza from Smagoo. And Canister's done a lot of really good work on this archetype. Uh, there's Arkham's Astrolabe with some Snowlands and... That can facilitate things like Dead of Winter in the sideboard, which I don't really like, actually, but I do think that Astrolabe is worth playing. Mm-hmm. And then Canister's big takeaway was shave the cards that feel really bad when you draw multiples of. So he was only playing three Goblin Engineer, three War of Invention, stuff like that. And I think that is probably what you want to do with this archetype, because you just want to be as lean as possible. Yeah, your cards just combine into this incredible weird value-y control-ish ball of nonsense and you generate some really incredible battlefields and then you also have an infinite combo which is always nice to have that i win button these decks have a future they just need to get everything sorted out and uh it's probably going to take a while because this is a complicated complicated deck to build but someone at some point is going to just crush a tournament because they absolutely nailed the way this deck is supposed to be built yeah i agree Goblin Engineer is the one card that sticks out to me where it's like, does this thing even belong? Because, I mean, it allows you to shave on the Thopter sword combos, Mm -hmm. but it is like the only lightning rod for removal early. So it's just like, what is it really doing? I mean, tutoring for Sword of the Meek is definitely very good. And then it just makes me think like, why are we playing red? And it's for gear of poor Aethergrid. And I think that that is a card worth playing and is a card that you could probably just play off of like Astrolabe, Mox Opal, etc. So Hmm, I'm not sold on the red. Yeah, Engineer was a card like I felt like I could never let untap. Like I would just lose if so. But like you said, I always had the removal for it. Now, me personally, I was playing blue-white control. And 
you path a goblin engineer and that does not feel good. I, I will tell you that right now. You're playing the game from behind at that point, but kind of blue-white control in a nutshell. So that, that's yep. the problem they deal with. Next up, we have I am the law with an R at the end. I am the law. I think he's a lawyer. That's my guess. I'm, I'm excuse me. I think they're, they are a lawyer. Or or is it like Sylvester Stallone, Judge Dredd, like his accent kind of like slurring the word or whatever? I don't know. That's possible too. Anyway, Jess Guy, three force of negation, full stop. Six graveyard hate in the board. Good amount of graveyard hate. Probably would fire a couple of the surgicals main. Force of negation, good pickup. Lightning bolt, lightning helix. Love these cards pre-Hogak. I thought they were really important for dealing with three mana Planeswalkers. Less convinced that's what we're doing right now. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's time for Jessica. I did mention I have not seen much Tron whatsoever, and you're less incentivized to have those Field of Ruins in your deck. So, Yep. Next deck is from Tundislav. This is Infect with three Teferi Time Raveler, four Scale Up, no Become Immense, and also no Waterlogged Grove, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, that seems like a good pickup for this deck. You see how Teferi makes this kind of easy mode, but I thought what was interesting, I saw Aaron Barish tweeting about their testing with the deck and very, very pleased with uh, Giver, Giver of Runes. Yeah, yeah. Which, which I think is an interesting approach to this deck and a little bit more in line with how you want to play the early turns of an Infect game. You're not really trying to wait around until Teferi's on the battlefield and... I think that's probably the angle I would be exploring when it comes to Infect right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. I don't know. It seems like you would much rather be developing than just like playing Giver and then trying to play out something else. It just seems like this really slow spell skite. So I don't know. But that's kind of how this deck plays. Like it's it's not as ex- like the games that are explosive. There's really nothing to be said for them. You just have the right pieces. You win instantly, whatever. That's fine. Those are still going to exist even when you're adding Giver of Runes to your deck. It's the more complicated games where you have to find a way to power things through and you're slowing down anyway. And that's where I think the approach of using Giver is really interesting. Yeah, you slow down, but you're still relying on chip damage. And just like playing Giver on one instead of Glistener Elf, I just think is not the way you want to go about things, but... Well, you have options, Jerry. I mean, you could always just fire True. off the Glistener Elf and then next turn, here comes Giver. And it, it's still, you're using your mana more efficiently than you would be with Teferi in that spot. So, Yeah, but even in that scenario, I'd rather have Spellskite. Okay, I could see that. All right, next deck is Vitbook's take on humans, which is normal as hell with two Ranger Captain of Eos in the sideboard. Hate it. Ra- Ranger I, Captain's great, but uh, it is. you can do more, I think, with this right now. Right. I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, humans with Leyline of the Void in the sideboard also, which I believe is just worse than having Ravenous Trap. But hmm. That's just my take. Okay. Uh, then we have a Tron deck with zero new cards. And Pass. then, ooh, Ooh, hot boy 69 with <laughs> a very, a very finely crafted uh, 75 of is it Phoenix? The 75 that I won my tournament with. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, hot boy 69, huge Jerry Thompson fan immediately ready. I to just, pick I up. knew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, or is hot boy 69 my, my account? It probably is. That makes a lot more sense. Actually, this is just your 75. So why don't, why don't you go ahead and talk about this deck? Uh, new cards, one Fiery Islet, two Aria Flame, two Lava Dart, one Magmatic Sinkhole, 
two force of negations in the sideboard, a shenanigans, another sinkhole, another aria. This deck is gas. It is straight gasoline, hot fire. It is awesome. Aria Flame solves basically all the problems the deck had because you no longer care about the graveyard. And yes, they are like people are prepared to deal with enchantments out of Is It Phoenix because they all had Pyromancer Ascension. But a lot of the ways that they dealt with Ascension were just like rest in piecing or leylining you. So Aria kills people over the course of two turns, which is not a big ask. And Magmatic Sinkhole destroys Narset, Teferi, Jace on five loyalty. Also kills Thing in the Ice in the Mirror, Tarmogoyf, etc. Like all of these cards are subtle pickups, but they just make your life so much easier. The deck is so good. More than anything, what really sold me on your version of this archetype is just the freedom you've reclaimed by going to Aria Flame. Because you spoke about how you're doing things like two Finale of Promise, one Magmatic Sinkhole, two Lava Darts, and all those cards seem great in those numbers. You don't want large numbers of them, but they do a lot for your deck. They give you a lot of strategic flexibility. And you lost all of that when you were playing Pyromancer Ascension. At least yep. if you were if you were building your deck properly, you did. Some people still did stuff like that. And I think they just generally weaken the archetype as a whole. But Agreed. once you return to Aria Flame, being able to get that kind of flexibility back is a huge, huge get for Is It Phoenix. And I, I would say I'm like 95% to basically register this deck in the PTQ at Seattle. I just think this is a great approach. And you said you are comfortable with your Hogak matchup. Is that, can I quote you on that? Will you say that openly right now? I'm comfortable. I mean, you have three surgical, four thing in the ice. Those are basically the only cards that matter in game one. Mm -hmm. And then post board, you have Ravenous Trap. You have to mulligan aggressively, but it is easy enough to mulligan to five and still have like a cohesive game plan. Okay. So the onus is on you to perform well. Right. Like their deck is basically going to do the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. But you you have enough cards. If you feel uncomfortable with the matchup, you can certainly sideboard a fourth Ravenous Trap. That was the last card I cut in my sideboard, I think, to make room for a shenanigans, which you might not even need. OK. Yeah, I, I like this deck a lot. I think you did a nice job rebuilding this archetype. Uh, Hot Boy 69 agrees with you. Well done. Yeah. So like. The set comes out, right? And you're seeing all of these cards show up in new decks and everything. But I, I honestly think this deck is just a work of art. It is very finely tuned. I think it's very good against everything. And post-tournament, I would not change very much, which I very rarely say. Right. You know, normally normally I'm just like, oh, I got like 10 cards off or whatever. Uh, this is like maybe four or five. And that's, you know, if you want to play the fourth trap or whatever. So... I think I did a great job and this was just like some midnight brewing on my end. Yeah, it looks great. And I, I know that feeling when you walk away from the tournament and you're just like, wow, nailed I kind of nailed it. It doesn't happen often and it's very much worth paying attention to. Yep. Uh, next deck is from Weffold, who is another old school moto grinder from Norway, I believe. And he was playing Gorio's Vengeance for a very long time. Is now playing Mono White Eldrazi couple sun-baked canyons, but four winds of abandon in the sideboard. Nice pickup. We said it already. I, I think this is a good get for this deck, and it gives them an out against one of their most problematic matchups. Yeah, also two Cataclysmic Gear Hulk, which I think is a fine way to fight the humans matchup too. Yeah. <laughs> T3HKL3RK. 
If I spoke internet, I'm sure that the probably clerk? says yeah, something like that. Who knows? Uh four thing in the ice, two blister coil weird, blue red stuff, teamer battle rage, disrupting shoal force and negation. So a lot of pitch counter spells to protect Kiln Fiend. Yeah, I, I would expect you to be more excited about this one. You've always been a Kiln Fiend fan. Yeah, this just looks loose to me. Like two blister coil weird, is that that can't be better than just playing like a swift spear, right? A prowess creature. Yeah. Unt- untap is is untap or the, the H, I guess, maybe is it where you don't want to fetch a mountain on turn one, but whatever. Yeah, the the H seems like the only oh, thing it has oh. going for it. No, yeah, blue card for force of negation. Sure. I, I still don't like it, but. Uh, what are the numbers without it? Oh, the numbers are, are real bad here, aren't they? Yeah, you, you probably just need to do that. Well, it's 24 total, but you have six pitch counters. So, yeah, you, you need your number to be pretty high. Okay. Well, there's a reason behind it. And I don't know. Like, I, I always want these decks to be good. There's moments where they are where just, like, everything has gone completely haywire and no one is focused on the battlefield at all. And you get to play these really thin, vulnerable creatures. But something like this, it's just like, I could just Phoenix instead. And why right. am I choosing to do this? Yep. Uh, next deck is from Nils Fit. This is Esper, four Snapcaster, three Jace, Vrin's Prodigy, four Monastery Mentor. New cards include Ooh. three Unearth, two Force of Negation. There's something interesting going on here. I mean, Monastery Mentor is a card that is restricted in vintage, uh, has terrorized Legacy, and has never done anything in modern or even really standard. Almost completely missed its time in standard. Whoa, whoa, Jeskai Black, buddy. Whoa. But it wasn't, it wasn't widely played in that deck, was it? Towards the end, we had like three main deck because it was the best card against Abzan. Okay. But as that deck started, it was not a Monastery Mentor deck. Like that was no, maybe like a wasn't. one of in the sideboard in a lot of spots. Yeah. And this deck doesn't even have Mishra's Bobble. Why are you playing Mentor if you don't have Mishra's Bobble? Uh, a Bobble would be nice. But I think the combination of Unearth Mentor is interesting. I think the combination of Mentor Force of Negation means that this card probably deserves another look, like just playing it and protecting it. Oh, yeah. Tends to win games very, very quickly. So it would not surprise me if we can find a home for Monastery Mentor in New Modern. All right. I found another way to be highly offended by this deck list. Okay. What you got? No Thought Scours. Yeah, that's that seems not good. You have Force of Negation, Jace, <laughs> Snapcaster Mage, Unearth, and you're not playing Thought Scour. I'm mad. I'm so mad right now. I, I could see wanting some Thought Scours here, for sure. Four Yixla Jailer in the sideboard to go with the Unearths, which is kind of cool. But you could, you could Thought Scour into that thing and then Unearth it. Come on, what are you doing? All right, so clean this one up and make it into something exciting to play. All right, me cleaning it up would likely lead to merging it with the next deck, which is mm. from BMJ. Yeah. Esper Death Shadow has uh, 5 a couple times, Unearth, Ranger Captain of Eos, Path, Fatal Push, Teferi Time Raveler, uh, some Silent Clearings, Kaya's Guile in the sideboard. Basically, like this is like a, a slightly slower, fatter Death Shadow deck. We often see them cutting street wraiths or like shaving street wraiths, playing in an additional land to facilitate the three drops and everything. And I like this. I think it's good. I love about 85% of this deck right now. My concern is that it feels very graveyard focused at a time that it doesn't necessarily have to be. 
And where there's so much splash hate to graveyards, we're seeing main deck hate cards. I, I want to leave as little reliance on the graveyard as possible. And I think you can get away from some of the stuff going on here. I'm not really opposed to like the unearth. That seems fine. But Jace Vryn's Prodigy and maybe even Gurmag Angler is just not what I think I want to be doing right now. I could see that. So if, if you were to clean up that portion of the deck, I, I love what's happening here. I think that, again, Ranger Captain of Eos still underappreciated this card is very very good and i from the beginning when i first saw this card i'm like there's a shell that uses this card to go get death shadow because death shadow one of the most efficient creatures of all time the one mana 13 13 there's a very very real version of this deck and i I think this version is good don't get me wrong i think this is a great start and it's proving that with consistent five o's i just think there's more we can do here and there's probably like there's a version of this deck that's a significant portion of the metagame at some point. That's my prediction. Yeah, fair enough. One one thing I will note is that the more you slow down your Death Shadow deck, especially in game one, the more awkward it gets because you are giving your opponent more and more time to actually take advantage of your low life total. Mm-hmm. So that that's one thing that I will caution against as far as like these mid-range Death Shadow decks are concerned, but... Uh, shaving the number of street rates, I think, is a, a good nod to that issue where you can just play it a little slower. You don't have to jam Death Shadow on turn two, you know? Sure. Yeah, I think that approach is fine. You don't have to punch yourself in the face for 15 either. Right. Just let your life total naturally fall. And then I think Ranger Captain of Eos kind of plays with that very well is that you just reach this endgame state where you have this never ending stream of threats or you're unearthing Ranger Captain and there's more and more Death Shadows and you're cutting off your opponent on cle- like key turns as well, which is also very important. Yeah. It, yeah. Ranger Captain plus Unearth, like you almost certainly just get to like time walk them multiple times. You have like Jace and Snapcaster Mage to flash that mm-hmm. back. Like that seems like a very potent engine. Yeah. And you, so you reach this late game spot where you like haven't done all that much. You haven't been too aggressive. And then you're just pulling all four death shadows out of your deck. And that's going to win most wars straight up. Right. Uh, next deck is from EG Magic Forever. This is fairly normal Bant Spirits with Collected Company Aether Vial, but with two Force of Negations and four Unsettled Mariner. You love the Mariner. You think it's doing a lot for this archetype? Any significant upgrades to be found here? Or is this kind of the same deck, maybe a little bit cleaner? I I like Force of Negation because the Spirits decks were generally kind of clunky as far as like three mana cards. And that made things really awkward when you play your first three drop and it gets bolted or whatever. Your opponent double spells you and they they just kind of take control from there. So I think Mariner does a lot of good for Spirits specifically because your creatures are a little bit more fragile and a, like way more important to keep around. But at the same time, it's kind of awkward that it's not a flying creature because that was one of the upsides to having all of your things be spirits, even though they're like weaker creatures in general. But I think that's actually okay. Hmm. Okay, we'll have to see if spirits reclaim some metagame percentage. I, maybe there's just not enough for this deck to prey on right now. I think that's my concern, and it doesn't seem like the things it does really line up with what the format's about. It's an aggressive deck that gets to play rest in peace, which is nice, but let's keep in mind you can also do that with humans now, if you so choose, and I think that's a big upgrade for humans. Right, and Remorseful Cleric is technically main deckable graveyard Mm, hate, but it's so slow and so mopey. I've tried it before. Unimpressed. Yep, same. Next deck is Eladomri's Call, Eldritch Evolution, Aether Vile, Devoted Druid, one thing I will note is that with Aether Vial in Devoted Druid decks specifically, I think you want Giver of Runes. 
Uh, I I kind of think you just want it all the time. I've been very impressed by Giver Probably. in this archetype. Um, I did start to trim my numbers a little bit just because it's not a card you want to draw a tremendous amount of. And I, my version of the deck actually used Ranger Captain uh, and was finding those a little bit more frequently, also setting up the combo very cleanly. So we can argue about whether that version is right or not. But whether you want to do Ranger Captain stuff or not, you, you should probably be looking into Giver of Runes. It's just a very clean pickup for this deck, along with Eladamri's Call, maybe finally moving the Counter's Company. I guess this isn't Counter's Company. This is just uh, the Druid combo archetype into Tier 1. I think Druid's there. There, there are so many different versions that are all doing well, and it, like they just have the consistency, redundancy. They have like a very low mana curve. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think this deck is very potent, very good. Yeah, I was very close to playing it didn't and i can't tell you why there's a bit more clunk than you would expect to the deck given that it's based around a bunch of cheap mana creatures and you have some awkward pacing turns but i i don't think any of that is a fatal flaw it's just uh maybe not as clean as it as it appears at first glance and when you work that out deck will be an extremely extremely potent weapon in the format uh next deck is the nevermind playing uh ben friedman's sahili Felidar Guardian nonsense with three force negations. I think this deck is terrible. I think you're wrong. I, I think this deck is better than you think it is, but probably not tier one. It, it The interaction between Guardian and Narset was surprisingly potent. I was very pleased with it. I think it allows you to play fewer than four copies of Sahili if you want. Probably should just be playing four Narsets. I, again, though, there's such an onus on like having the correct answers in this format and this being a little bit slow, a little bit clunky, and not really leveraging Graveyard Hate all that well because you are a Snapcaster Mage deck and you don't necessarily just want to jam a bunch of Rest in Peace. Here you see two Ashiok for Surgical Extraction. Like That's nice, but is that really going to be enough to hold back Hogak? I don't think so. And also Force of Negation doesn't protect your combo. It's super awkward. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. This deck just seems very medium to me, and I don't think that the Planeswalkers are necessarily like the best thing that you could possibly be doing uh, to make this combo better. I think the Planeswalkers are just fine on their own, and at that point, you could just be playing normal blue-white control stuff. And like slamming slamming Big Teferi or Jace the Mind Sculptor is basically game over in a lot of spots anyway, so I, I don't really see the appeal to this. Okay. This is one of the decks that top forward the the tournament that I top forward though. Okay. Yeah, and it put up a fine performance at the standard championship at SCG Con in the hands of Ben Freeman, like you said. So the deck's starting to get some results. It was actually a deck I was super excited about heading into the Invitational. I sent it to you. You yelled at me, and I got off it pretty quickly. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it does deserve some more exploration. Although, like I said, didn't really pick up much from Modern Horizons. Yeah. Uh, next deck is Blue Green Tron with Hydroid Crisis, which is tight, but also not playing any new cards. So we're not going to talk about it. Get gone. ZX Rogue, four Fairy Seer, four Fallen Shinobi, four Ice Fang Coatl, four Mist Syndicate Naga. Mm hmm. Naga, not going to work here anymore. No, no. No, not, you don't like it? Naga, not all that good, quite frankly. Okay. <laughs> but I like the rest of the cards a lot. I'll say that. Yeah, some Prismatic Vistas, Force of Negation, Dead of Winter in the sideboard. ZX Rogue just shoving on Modern Horizons. I love it. I may have called Fairy Seer the blue Arclight Phoenix in my article oh, this week. No. 
and Arclight Phoenix is the blue Arclight Phoenix. That's that's probably correct. And I will openly admit to some hyperbole, but the fact that you're able to fix your early game draws while enabling your late game plans is exactly what the cantrips in is it Phoenix are doing. Like that's why that deck is so, so good, so resilient, so satisfying to play. And Fairy Seer enabling this ninjutsu stuff, super clean, super nice. It's it's weird that we're just doing Fallen Shinobi, Miss Syndicate Naga stuff here because there's Ingenious Infiltrator, which actually has been super impressive as I play it because it scales so well in multiples. So if you ever have two on the battlefield at once, you're just drawing four. And that's yeah. kind of crazy. The four mana investment into Fallen Shinobi on your turn is a lot. I mean, my approach to this deck was very much counter magic based. Here you see only the four remands to force negation. So this is just a different way of building the deck. And that's fine. I think Fallen Shinobi is a powerful card. Like it's super fair, but it's fair in a way that makes it feel unfair, if that makes sense. You can do some absurd things when you hit with Fallen Shinobi. Uh, and this deck is going to hit a lot. Very difficult to block, very difficult to play against. I like it. I don't think it's tier one, but it's a cool approach. Yeah, this deck is sweet. Uh, next up, we have Mono Black Karn Control with no new cards. Uh, Shattered Assumptions in the sideboard. Yeah, that's a card that we haven't talked about at all. What do you think of that card in general? Why don't you read it real quick? Because I feel like a lot of people probably don't even know what this does. Yeah, 1BB Sorcery, choose one. Target opponent reveals their hand and discards all colorless non-land cards. Target opponent reveals their hand and discards all multicolored cards. So if you want to mind twist Tron or Eldrazi Tron or maybe some of the prison decks on turn three, you have that option. Or if you play against the Niv-Mizzet deck, who boy, they're in for a bad time. Does this card do anything against humans or is it too slow, too likely to find non-multicolored cards in hand? Yeah, I think it's too slow. I, th- I think you basically have to whammy them with a three mana sorcery that doesn't affect the battlefield. Right, so, right, right. Uh, I, I think it is mostly just for those matchups. And then even then, it's like if you're on the draw, you could just be facing down a Karn with right. this card and it doesn't really do anything. So it has some problems, but it's a nice tool. Yeah, interesting card. And I just wanted to highlight it because, like I said, I, I feel like virtually nobody's talked about it. But in those super Tron heavy metagames, you could see how this could start to get some footholds. Right. And yeah, this was one of the late previews, so it wasn't mm-hmm. on a lot of people's radars. And now, you know, Tron is kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit. So it makes sense. Right, right. All right. Andal playing what looks to be a very Edgar-ish deck with Karn Teferi, Devoted Druid, also now with Eladomri's Call. And this is, this is like a pretty good version of this deck. I'm not sure which is the best one. I'm still convinced that the Karn stuff is mostly nonsense. And you should probably just have like Giver of Runes instead of that or whatever. But this deck is good. I agree. I would rather have Giver of Runes. But otherwise, this is fine. Artemisis. So like Artemis, but Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, vampires. Hmm. Four Cordial Vampire. I'm going to read this one. BB11 Creature Vampire. Whenever this or another creature dies, put a plus one, plus one counter on each vampire you control. And that is the only card from Modern Horizons in this list. It's utilizing a Call of the Bloodline and Call to the Netherworld engine. And I could see how this could get out of hand very quickly. Me too. But it's still just a silly black creature deck. And 
like, do I believe this is better than something like humans? If this is what you want to do, probably not. You get to play Thoughtseize. That's cool, I guess. But you don't have a lot of strategic flexibility. You just have a clock with a very small amount of disruption. And historically, not a recipe for success in modern. You usually want a clock with a lot of disruption, which is what what humans gives you. So uh, cool. I like it. I want there to be more tribal strategies like this that are viable in modern. I think it's interesting when they are, but this is very clearly like a tier below most decks. The mana base has 10 black fetches, eight swamps, three herborgs. So you're like fetching to thin your deck, but then you realize that your fetches late are going to be bad or they're going to cost you life points. So you play three herborgs. I don't understand. Me neither. <laughs> three three Orborg is, is a lot here. I don't know what we're doing. Three Orborg in your mono black, no colorless land deck. All right, moving yeah. on. Uh, Alexander SY, another Urza deck. Urza, Goblin Engineer, a bunch of size main deck. Uh, Leyline of the Void in the sideboard. This one has white instead of black for Teferi Time Raveler. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of cute. Yeah, what do you think about Psy, uh, either in the main deck or just versus, like, say, Mirrodin Besiege, which is a card I've seen some of these decks pick up? I like Psy a lot more. I mean, it's it's a threat, a defensive tool, an engine. It does a lot, and normally you would look at that sort of thing as a sideboard card, but, I, like, the games that we were playing at the, the tournament last weekend, it did really feel like my deck was threat light. Mm-hmm. So I could totally see a move to size in the main deck. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, I was very impressive against me in, out of this deck, unsurprisingly, as it has 26 artifacts, but uh, very problematic to deal with. Yep. Uh, next up, pretty normal Karn Devoted Druid deck. This one with Primal Commands, uh, Simeon Spirit Guide too, I guess, but kind of off it. Yeah, I just like the Eladomri's Call versions better. Omen Machine the hell does this do yeah, six mana artifact go ahead and read that one players can't draw cards at the beginning of each player's draw step that player exiles the top card of his or her library if it's a land that player puts it on the battlefield otherwise the player casts it without paying its mana cost of able i don't what is this card doing so this would like be good with teferi would this be good with teferi i mean yeah you get an extra engine but like this deck doesn't even there's have no teferi. teferi's here yeah I, I don't i don't know i don't know Cool. Uh, next deck, Bring Delight Scape Shift. Uh, primarily a Bant deck that has uh, a bunch of different mana sources for killing people with Valakit and for Bring Delight. We saw this actually show up on Twitter a little bit with Ojatai's Command and Ice Fang Waddle. And I want to try this deck. This deck looks really sweet. Yeah, this is wild. I, I really like Narset in these decks. I think that's a pretty big pickup. Teferi Time Raveler, maybe maybe that's fine too. Uh, doing all this stuff though to kill with Valakut, very strange. It's a very strange world that modern <laughs> occupies these days. Uh, if something like this is good, that's really cool, really good for modern. On the whole, not a huge fan of scape shift approaches right now. I think the, first of all, just like there's Hogak. That's the number one problem every deck has to address in this deck. Doesn't yeah, it's, it's really slow do and bad. So. Yeah. It's slow and bad. Who cares? <laughs> well, I think that's kind of what we do here is care about when decks are slow and bad. But Force of Negation is the other card I would also mention that I think has beaten up on Scapeshift pretty well. Yeah, fair enough. That's what the Teferis are for. Yeah. 
This is a deck that I would bring to spell slinging. Sure. Know, this is not a deck that I would enter a tournament with, and, but and it does look cool. That's fine. There's a place for those decks as well in uh, the Magic ecosystem. And I agree, this looks like a cool one. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Mono Blue Narset, Thing in the Ice Narset, Days Undoing, Gyre's Reach Sanitarium, Mukakoro Center of the Sea, Commandeer Disrupting Shoal, no Force of Negations. So yeah, that's odd. It. Yeah, it seems like there should be Force here. Yeah, Disrupting Shoal instead, I guess. Whatever. Uh, next deck is Normal Fairies, just with Fairy Seer and Force of Negation, uh, normal Bitter Blossom, Spellsetter Sprite stuff. I actually played against this and got them pretty good with Plague Engineer. Oh, yeah. That's a strong card against this deck, turns out. Uh, not one you want to see on the other side of the battlefield. And one that's seen a fair amount of play. So I think you should probably be considering that when you're thinking about sleeving up the fairies. But obviously, we all want fairies to be good. Or maybe I just want fairies to be good. And a bunch of other sickos want fairies to be good. I, I do think Fairy Seer is a fine card here. And as unassuming as it is, it does exactly what you need it to. But still a lot of structural problems this deck has to overcome. Yeah, if you're playing the tempo game, it makes Spellstarter Sprite into basically Counterspell. So mm. I do like that aspect of it a lot. Yep. Plague Engineer not only killed Fairy Seer, but also let me Lightning Bolt or Mistbind click. So, game. Yikes. <laughs> Another Devoted Druid deck, pretty close to the one that you were thinking of playing with Giver of Runes, Incubation, Incongruity. This is like Edgar's updated list, I think. Yep. Yeah, I think this is just card for card, one of his lists. On Andreas, what's his last name on Twitter? Played it in some modern online thing. Yeah, that that's me trying to give credit. Okay, credit given. Yeah, that that's it's like half credit. We'll count it. I know credit's um, so hard these days because there's so much parallel development. I've been talking about this a lot. I think like as a magic magic community, we're going to have to move past the idea of crediting people at some point. And it's weird to say that because I do think people deserve recognition for their work. And like, I've been on the side of not getting recognition and you're like, Oh, I kind of deserve this one. And it feels a little bad, but it's just getting so hard to do now. And I don't think it's like a slight to anyone when you pass over their contribution to something. It's just, we're all compiling these decks together. We're working on things together. Ideas are coming from all over the place. There's very few completely original ideas at this point. We're all inspired by everyone around us and taking things from other places. And we're getting close to a post-credit, very collaborative world, which is like half utopia, half dystopia. But it's going to happen eventually, no matter what. Yeah, that's fine with me as long as I get credit for the things that I come up with. Okay, so as long as it doesn't apply to you, you're on board. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, next up, we have a pretty normal green-white Ramanep Excavator Field of Ruin deck. So we're going to skip that. Pass. We have a, a Hardened Scales deck, also passing on that. Wait, we don't have the the new... Nope. Okay, pass. At least try it. Yeah, you know? give one. it a shot. Uh, next up, Nightmare 21 playing Blue Moon with Narset, a couple Magmatic Sinkholes, a couple... Force of Negations, Prismatic Vista, uh, basically tailor-made for this sort of archetype. So like this deck a decent amount. Don't think it's particularly great, but... Yeah, you were into this for a minute. What happened there? Just not something that excites you anymore? Oh, I just realized that all the cool cards I wanted to play in this deck, I could also just put into Phoenix and it would just be busted. Smart. Yeah. Uh, next up, we got we got a banger right here. You ready for this? I'm ready. City of Cards. Three Blood Moon, 20 land, various teamer lands, including Fiery Islet, Waterlog Grove, a bunch of snow lands. We got some Screds. We got some Ice Fang Coatles, some Seasoned Pyromancers, 
uh, Nimble Mongoose, Tarmogoyf, some counter spells, basically the complete package. Perfect deck. This just looks like a bunch of cards. And don't get it me is. wrong, I, I love all these cards. Great, great card choices in general. Like not in combination with each other, just like as cards. I'm all about them. My roommate was going through this deck dump yesterday or like maybe when this deck first showed up in one of the original deck dumps or whatever. And he was just like, Ice Fang Kawaddle and Nimble Mongoose don't really belong in the same deck. And I just immediately knew what deck he was talking about. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, this is this is interesting. The power level is high enough on some of these cards that it can carry uh, a lot of the fact that this is just like stuff thrown together. And that's a fine way to pick up a 5-0. That's, yeah. that's as far as I'll go with it. Yep. Uh, sideboard also has some Fluster Storms, which is probably almost never correct, but whatever. Very few Fluster Storms, and uh, not surprising. That's That was our take when we saw Fluster Storm. We didn't think it would see a lot of run. Uh, proving to be true, though. Yep. Uh, next up, Mono Green Land Destruction with Karn, Utopia Sprawl, Arbor Elf, Trinisphere. Uh, this deck showed up a little bit prior to the Invitational. Uh, I got to see it dismantle Oliver Tomiko's Dredge deck, which was very entertaining, but no new cards. Nothing new for this deck? That's surprising. Yeah, you could like co- like Primal Command for a Collector Oof or something, but... Yeah, that seems fine-ish, I guess. Next up, a uh, normal Hogak deck from Get Smart. One Zombie Infestation, one Crypt Breaker, a couple cards that I've tried out. Uh, to middling results. I don't know what your thoughts on those cards are. Uh, I don't. I don't think it matters. I mean, I could sit here and like debate the fifty eighth, fifty ninth, sixtieth slots, but that's not what we're really doing. Like, play whatever you want. This deck is broken. It's absurd, and I don't know. I don't know what else I can say about it. Like, I mean, people were saying maybe we should do a whole show on it if it's the best deck, and I, I get that line of thinking, but it's just like sometimes things just compile in a way that there's not a lot to say. This is just an absurd strategy and modern. You need to be very sure you have a good matchup against this deck if you're playing anything else. And you you likely need some kind of reason for not choosing to play it. So Jerry, you were talking about playing this deck at the tournament that you top forward and did very well at. Why did you ultimately choose not to? I tried a bunch of different versions because I'm not convinced that playing Insolent, Neonate, and Vengevine is correct, and I was not happy with either of those versions. Uh, So I sleeved up the Vengevine deck and was just like, all right, screw it, I'm just going to play this. And then, you know, the day before the tournament, I just started brewing, found the Phoenix list that I liked, and I, I didn't think it was necessarily, like, the best choice, but it did seem like it was very good. And I think there were, like, four Hogak decks in the entire tournament out of a hundred people or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know, people were also ready for it. I got main deck rest in peace and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, but, but yeah, it was basically just like, oh, I want to try this Phoenix thing. I do think it's good too. And I don't know, kind of doing the excusey thing that you always do where yeah, you just one make of my favorite up, things. Yeah. Just make up reasons to not play the best deck. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to do it again, right? I'm not playing the deck this weekend and like, why? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I have a belief that people should effectively target it and there should come a point where this deck isn't viable. And you can you can believe that something will should and will be banned and still believe there's a point where people can refuse to lose to this deck. Like if you show up with nine sideboard cards focused against this deck, you should probably make your matchup okay. Like 
it'll turn at some point. It's just, it's not going to continue to be part of the format if that's the level of commitment it requires and like is still fine under those conditions, like still has 45% matchups in spots where it has nine sideboard cards against it. It's not going to stick around. That's kind of how I feel about it is I I think I should get a bunch of 45% matchups and maybe some just like outright hateful things and be targeted going into this week. Maybe that's just excuse making. We'll have to see. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel the same way as you, where it's like at this point, everyone knows it's a thing. They should be trying to fight it. But then I'm just playing like sort of a different graveyard deck too. So I don't know if that's actually good logic or not, but whatever. Well, I, th- um, I think you've done enough to reduce your reliance on the graveyard. If you were just playing yes. Pyromancer Ascension, I would agree with you. But yeah, yeah. I'm certainly more insulated against graveyard hate. And, you know, when they board in graveyard hate against me, I'm actually fine with yeah, it. Yeah, you know? exactly. All right, next deck is Green Red Eldrazi. Nothing really new except for an Ugin, which is semi-new. And then we have Eldrazi Tron. Again, not really with any new stuff. Then we have Affinity. Not really with any new stuff. Uh, Mono White. Not even any Giver of Runes. Come on. Yeah, we've somehow reached the the lazy part of the deck dump where nothing new happens. And also, it's very funny that all of this Hogak stuff is happening with the Spectre of Neoform looming over the format as the London Mulligan comes. I I personally don't believe in this deck anymore, even under the London Mulligan, but it's like, it's still there. It's still something that should be on the back of everyone's mind. And we'll have to see what happens when that change finally happens. The Neoform deck has Yavimaya Coast instead of Waterlogged Grove. That seems incorrect. Strictly incorrect. Next deck is the deck that Will Pulliam posted on Twitter, which is Amulet mashed up with Devoted Druid, which I do like, but again, doesn't have really any new cards, one Force of Vigor in the sideboard, uh, but is a cool take. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Will can develop this to the point where it uh, becomes a new take on Amulet. I don't know that they needed a juke, really. Like they're, They're kind of in a good spot where they're not being targeted by anything that's going on in the format and have some graveyard hate and have some other options too. We mentioned being a Pact of Negation deck, or excuse me, a Summoner's Pact deck where they can go get the good green hate cards like Collector Oof. So I I don't know if it needs this change right now, but it's a good change to have in your back pocket. And Devoted Druid ramping out Primeval Titan is just like fine. I'm totally cool with that. Yep. And Finale of Devastation is completely fine too. Sure, yeah. Uh, next deck is another Devoted Druid, uh, Court of Calling, Collective Company, also has Carrion Feeder, Kitchen Finks, nonsense, kind of off it. One Yogmoth I like as a tutor target, for this one at least. Uh, at least we got the Giver of Runes back here. Again, I, I think there's probably room for Ranger Captains in this deck, especially where you're Collected Company and you can just re- into Ranger Captain. That sounds very good to me. But yeah, there's probably a cleaner version of this deck that exists. Yeah, one one Vivian Champion of the Wilds on the sideboard, too. I like that card a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Green Black Elves, two Nurturing Peatlands, some Collector Oofs. Uh, next deck, some new cards. Suyeski? Suseki. Suseki. Come on, brain. Uh, this is Geist of St. Traft, Rattle Chain, Spell Queller, Talowisp, Archmage's Charm, Disrupting Shoal, Force of Negation... Two Curious Obsession, one Steel of the Godhead, Prismatic Vista, Sideboard on Thin Ice. Uh, cool deck. I don't know if it's good. It has 5 twice, so who knows? Yeah, Tallow Wisp has this weird dalliance with the modern format where it pops up every now and then, and then it's gone and doesn't actually win anything. But it's always around. 
I would like Talowisp to be good. It's a cool card. Reasonable pickups here. Force and Negation protecting these Geists of St. Traff Talowisp setups seems pretty good to me. So we'll have to see if this one picks up a little steam. Yeah. Next deck is Green Black Mid, two Nile Spellbombs main, two Unearth, two Nurturing Peat Land, and three Plague Engineers in the sideboard, also a Collector Oof. Reasonable deck. Uh, like I said, seeing Hex Drinker pop up in these lists from time to time. Really don't like Dark Confidant in this deck, but whatever. Uh, just just a fine deck. Could get down with some Hex Drinking here. That sounds pretty good to me. What about Footfalls? Footfalls or Hex Drinker? You have to choose. I am torn. <laughs> I am torn asunder right now. I'm trying to like play out a bunch of games in my head very quickly, and it's not working. It's It's Footfalls. It, it might be. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess like the breaker is if I have a way to find the hex drinkers. So like in those Naya setups, it makes sense to be hex drinking. But here, you're right. It's probably footfalls. Yeah. Uh, next up is Mausus with Ad Nauseum. And I believe this was the player that beat me in my Marnu Pyromancer League. Uh, with no new cards, right? No, no new cards. Take that. Didn't need them. Go shove your Modern Horizons. Uh, next deck is Kenzo the Hard Hearted with Bant. Kind of tempo-y stuff with Collected Company and Ice Fang Coatl. Also some Vivians. I like this deck a lot, similarly to Scapeshift. This is a deck I would bring to Spell Slinging and not to a tournament. Yeah, I don't think Ice Fang Coatl is fixing issues this deck had. And they they still remain. Agreed. Uh, next deck is Mono Red Phoenix. This time three Lava Darts, otherwise pretty normal stuff. Still Lava Spiking, still lighting up some stages. Yeah, Lava Dart's good here. Good ad for this deck, for sure. You know, we're starting to see it was Mono Red Phoenix that took the other spot in the top four beside those three Hogak decks. The raw aggression of this approach paying some dividends against a very, very warped format. We'll have to see if that holds going forward. Yeah. Uh, Next deck is from Johnny Volta, uh, another Bant splashing red deck for kiki jiki this one has giver splashing kiki jiki the classic kiki jiki splash yo, yo that's normal uh ice fan <laughs> giver of runes eladomri's call also has some lightning bolts so it's not just kiki jiki but mm. uh yeah kiki jiki resto with eladomri's call court of calling is basically it yeah i i don't buy this one i have friends who have are basically obsessed with the kiki jiki archetype and try to make it work no matter what and I'm always just like, there's got to be something better. Like, I even think like Prime Speaker Vanifar setups are probably better than what we're doing here. And I don't think those are very good. So I'm, I'm going to pass on the Kiki Jiki approach for the time being. Word. Next deck is Burn with four sun-baked canyons. That's a good ad for this deck. I think that is apt to make a difference in a lot of spots. You still need to find the right metagame for Burn, though. I, I think that's always going to be true even if the deck does improve a little bit this doesn't feel like one of those metagames to me agreed next deck mono blue tron uh no well i guess prohibit prohibit i guess that is a new card prohibit all right i'm off it we're moving on wow uh white black eldrazi forgiver of runes thank you i appreciate you Yep, yep. Good ad there. Protecting Thalia is going to be very nice. Three Remorseful Cleric in the main deck, too. Like we said, we're not huge on that card, but you got to make the concessions. So some good deck building there. Yep. And then we have Heroes Downfall playing Red Black, Blood Gas, Dreadhorde Arcanist, Flamewake Phoenix, Gourmet Angler, Seasoned Pyromancer, Tassiger, 
some unearths, and some lightning skeletals. Oh, I thought you were going to skip those lightning skeletals. No. We, we were going to have troubles. I was, um, I was saving the best for last, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, four unearth, three lightning skeletal. I have no opinion on this deck, but this person is great. It's badass. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's a cool approach. I. I mean, I don't, I can't even guess if this is viable or doing anything reasonable. It seems like the mana costs of your creatures are a little high, but whatever. Nice approach. I like it. Yep. Smart. Galaxy brain. Next deck, white black zombies, aether vial, carrion feeder, uh, undead auger. So some new cards, kind of weird to have this be going on when you could hogak people by changing like 20 cards, but whatever. Yeah, same complaint as before when we were dealing with the Vampire's deck. It's like there's a beatdown deck which can do this with 10 times more disruption. Why not go that route instead? Next deck from ZX Rogue. Four Bogart Harbinger, four Goblin Matron, four Warren Instigator, four Aether Vile, 22 land, and a bunch of one and two of goblins. Yeah, so we're getting into that goblin space where we're doing really grindy stuff. A big, big friend is coming to this party very soon. If you've followed the M20 previews at all, it's Goblin Ringleader time. That's that's a big piece of the puzzle here. I don't know if it's like a slam dunk. This deck is really good, but interesting. Have have you played with or against Pashalik Mons? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It seems busted, though. I, I had it in a limited deck, and boy, is that card absurd. Like, it is just unbeatable in so many situations. And my opponents just made attack after horrible attack into the card because there's nothing you can do about it. Like, right, it just consumes you. All the attacks are bad. Yes. Uh, a very silly card that looks like kind of safe on its face, but once it gets going, man, is this card silly. Yep. Uh, next deck, more ninjas, this time with Ingenious Infiltrator from Rosansky. Base blue, splashing green and black, Inquisition, Cryptic Command, Fatal Push, Mana Leak, Opt. So probably pretty close to what you were trying to do. Yep, very close to the approach I was taking. Uh, I Again, I like this deck. There's format restrictions, though, that I think make it not quite as viable. There's also some changes. If you check out my article on Star City, I, I think this is like the base version where you're just jamming four of every card. There's some tweaks you can make here where you get game in a bunch of other places. I had main deck surgical extraction because you have to. And I I think even some sideboard field of ruins in my list, which smoothed out a lot of matchups in combination with assassin's trophy and those surgical extractions, they can give you game against the big mana decks. So an archetype worth working on, but this particular look at it uh, is still a very formative version of the deck. I would say. All right, next deck is from Karusu, and I like this deck a lot. Four Vanifar, three Ice Fang Kawaddle, three Teferi, four El- or three Eladomri's Call, two Court of Calling, four Force of Negation, because now you have enough like blue-green creatures, basically, that you get to do stuff like this. I think this is really cool. It's definitely cool you pick up Force of Negation. There's a bit of a problem where like it's not protecting your core combo, but like I think that's fine because it, you just... You just need to untap with Prime Speaker. Like, that's all this is about. So you're spending your four mana on your opponent's turn. You force them to gate their way of dealing with Prime Speaker. And the game usually ends from that point. It's very, very difficult to lose a game where you untap with Prime Speaker. Some more protection in the form of Teferi. This is cool. I don't know how good it is. I want it to be good for sure. And having that bridge, the two mana like value drop really matters for a deck like this. The fact that it's something as good as Ice Fang Quaddle, big get here. Yeah. Breaching Hippocamp. You got to get those untaps in. 
Go ahead and look that one up, kids. Uh, next deck, another Urza deck. This one with four Metallic Rebukes main deck, which I, I like. Maybe not four, but some amount of them is pretty cool. Are these decks all 10 cards different? They all feel very similar to me. Oh, yeah. They're all different. Yeah. That's it. That's all you got. That's it. That's, yeah. I, we've set our piece on this deck. Uh, you're right. Metallic Rebuke, probably in some number, useful card, but four is a lot. All right. Last deck. We finally made it. Ian Klein, MTG, playing Jeskai Humans, which is a, a deck that 5 0 already, but uh, Giver of Runes, some Kessig Malcontent, some Unsettled Mariners, main deck Lightning Bolt, sideboard. You actually get to play like Four colored in magic piece. cards. Uh, also, seven Canopy Lands, Horizon Lands, whatever you want to call them, and yep. some Caverns, some some Fetches. You know, this is this is pretty nice. I agree. I like this list a lot. I think this is probably the future of humans, at least as it stands right now. As long as we're playing this format where all the focus is on Hogak, I really love having access to these meaningful sideboard cards. I just think you have to if you're going to have any chance in this metagame. And having all these Horizon Lands really, really lets you grind out some tougher games. So cool pickups. Obviously, you're losing some of your disruption. But like we said, this deck has it in spades and Lightning Bolt. I mean, actual lightning bolt for this deck is kind of a big deal. You're getting a lot more reach just by playing the four copies of that card and interacting with your opponent a little bit more. So I I like this approach to humans quite a bit. Yeah, I also think it's interesting because you can lightning bolt your own creature to exile their bridges, which could also just KO the Hogak deck. So you're you're picking up a lot of percentages in a lot of different weird spots. I agree with you. Good take. So Hogak is busted. Something may or may not get banned. Something has to change at some point. But we went through, I think someone said before, that it was 84 decks in that deck list dump that are different cards, and that's pretty incredible. And all of these decks, uh, or the vast majority of them at least, have picked up a lot of cool tools from Modern Horizons. It is not all about Hogak. There are other things going on in the format. There is a lot of exploration to be done. And despite the one issue, I think that MH1 was a big success. I agree. I don't know if we've come across as like too hard on this effort by focusing on Hogak, but I I mean, quite frankly, with an endeavor like this, I'd rather there be a mistake than this set just miss modern entirely. And there was a mistake. I, I think that's fine. Hogak was a mistake. Something will happen in regards to it. But behind that mistake, there's like this incredible wealth of not only amazing cards, but amazing archetypes that haven't been explored and have a real chance at getting some run in modern once things finally settle down. So if we have come across as negative, I will say that is not my intended stance on this set. I think this set is awesome in so many ways. And as I mentioned, that goes back to legacy as well, which is a really cool thing to see. We just have to get this problem dealt with and it it will be at some point. Yeah, we'll get there. Well, That is going to wrap up this episode finally. Uh, Every week we take a question from the listeners in our Discord and we pick our favorite question uh, determined by us. And we answer that. The winner gets, at this point, some sleeves, but we are running low on sleeves. And a thing that I recently ordered that uh, should be getting here maybe in about a month or so are some Arena Deckless Pins that I think are going to be badass. And I think that is going to be the new prize for getting your question picked. Good stuff. Slap that right on the play mat. Also in the line of exciting arena decklist merchandise also have those shirts working. I know those are very close to being something we can send out. You're 
gathering information from our patrons right now, getting shirt sizes, things like that, have both men's and women's cuts, which is really cool. And those are going to be hitting people's mailboxes sometime in the near future. So that'll be really cool to see those out in the wild. Yep. Uh, So if you are a listener of the podcast, you did sign up for the $7 tier, but you're not uh, very active in the Discord. Don't check your email, whatever. Uh, I did post a Google form for people to fill out. If you have a shirt coming to you, please get me your shirt size so that I can actually send you a shirt. What are you going to do if you don't get it? You're just going to have to default to like a a medium or something like that. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm just going to, I'm just going to try and contact them. I mean, I, I don't want to default send someone like, you know, a medium or a large or whatever, and just have it be useless. You know, what if it doesn't fit them? Okay. So either get Jerry, your shirt size, or you're going to end up with him knocking on your door, angrily requesting like, yo, what's your shirt size? Let's go. Yeah. Maybe I'll just have to break into their place and like check their laundry or something. I don't know. That is, that is super creepy, but if that's what you have to do, you go for it. Yeah, well, all you have to do is fill out a Google form. It's three questions. It's not that tough, you know? <laughs> That's true. That's probably the clean way to do it. Anyway, a uh, question this week comes from Blackout28, and they ask, with the combination of friendly slash competitive leagues on Moto, do you think Moto testing and the 5.0 lists are as valuable as they previously were? Hit me, Brian. Yes. Like straight up, you think it's one-to-one? Yes. Because here's the thing. I think before they weren't all that valuable. Like uh, they are, they continue to be flawed. They continue to just be a snapshot of one person's five O experience. And you never know what they were paired against. And look, I've seen some utter nonsense in modern queues and I'm sure you have too. There are quite frankly, bad decks being played and that's like fine. My Mardu Pyromancer deck. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or anything I happen to sleeve up that isn't like uh amulet or Tron or anything like that. So I think that's all good. And from the beginning, since this is the way we started getting our data, we made sure to be clear that these are not a reflection of the metagame. These are just snapshots and ideas and points to gather inspiration from. And if as long as you can look at these decks and analyze and say, okay, this doesn't look too strong. This has this problems. Oh, this is a really interesting point. Oh, this is a really interesting use of these cards. That's what you should have been doing with these deck lists all along. And while I will concede that the general quality of play in the queues has gone down a little bit since they combined the friendly and competitive queues, without question, on the whole, I think these deck dumps are doing the exact same thing they always did. Their role actually has not changed. So I think the the testing is less valuable because you are playing against less competitive opponents. So it's uh, just on average, I'm not saying like everyone is suddenly much worse because you're playing against the same people who were in the competitive ones on occasion. But you have to realize that your opponents might not necessarily have the most tuned deck list. They might not be as well versed at playing the matchup as previous opponents would have been. So take all of that with a grain of salt. But you always should have been doing that. I agree with Brian to to that degree. And I basically used the five O list to get ideas. It was never a very big indicator of like metagame percentage or anything because the first deck list dump happened and there are four different decks that had Hogak. This one, I believe only had the one and you know that there were more than just the one Hogak deck in the field, right? It's just like they only post the one because all the deck lists are all very similar at this point. Right. Uh, so you, you can never get a good metagame grasp. Like really what you should be doing is, you know, if you have the time and, the the resources to get the cards and all that stuff like you should be in the queues playing yourself and like getting a feel for what the metagame is 
Yeah, I basically want to look at the list to get ideas, see what people are doing, see if they're trying like combinations of cards that I had not thought about, like the the Mardu Pyromancer decklist that starts showing up with eight Pyromancers and two Yogmoths. Like I did not think about playing Yogmoth alongside all the token makers, which you know should have been pretty obvious. But uh, that's that's just like one example where it's like, oh, this is awesome. And then a lot of the things that we went through, even in this episode, where it's like, that's really cool. I want to try that. These things are all very valuable. And also you get to see what other people are doing and what people are winning with. So it is still valuable. I would just not be like, oh, I'm you know winning at a clip of 75%. Therefore, my deck is good because that's probably not accurate. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that was the case before, though. I mean, I know you've had the experience of 5 0 in a league and being like, this deck is garbage. Because if you've played any large amount of Magic Online, we've all had that experience where you're just like, I don't know how that happened. I did not deserve this. And I can walk away from this deck now. It's rare, but it does happen. And as long as you are always being honest with your assessment of your games and your deck and what your deck is capable of, uh, I, I don't think all that much has changed for you. You'll still occasionally play really talented people. You'll still occasionally play people a little bit lower on the curve and you know, maybe those ratios are a little bit off, but ultimately it's a very similar experience and the deck dumps are basically exactly the same. So it's close enough that I consider it a wash. Okay. I uh, we should do like a, a play testing episode uh, at some point in the future. I know that we've done one, maybe like a hundred episodes ago or something. If people actually want to go back and look for it, I don't think much has changed, but certainly in the way that magic online has changed the way that they release data and with, the advent of arena and stuff like that. Uh, I do think that it's probably time for an update of that. And the, the TLDR is basically just play games to figure out what is important. Do not pay attention to who wins or lost, pay attention to why people are winning or losing and make your decisions based on that stuff more than win percentages. Because like Brian said, I five out of league. uh, I I won a hundred percent of my matches and I'm just like, this deck is terrible. Uh, it, it really doesn't matter if on the last turn, like they draw a burn spell to kill you or not, you know, like that, that can change whether or not you go two, three or five Oh, which is just kind of silly. Yep. And you know, I, I hate giving this answer, but it really is just like what I'm going on a lot. It, it's feel like I can feel Same. whether a deck is good. And I know that's an unsatisfying answer when someone asks me like, how do I know if a deck is actually good? And I'm just like, feel, I'm sorry. That's, that's all I can give you. Like there's something there where things work properly and everything's running smoothly. And a lot of times I can cite read like if a deck is viable now. And that's a lot of what we're doing here. Obviously you and I have not played all 81 of these decks, but you can look at it and be like, okay, here's where the clunk lies. Here's where, you know, the pacing problems are going to occur. And it's just not something enough blue cards. Yeah. It's just something that comes with like, reps and reps and reps and reps and purposeful reps not jamming because man do i hate jamming games it's reps with the goal of learning something and that's when you start to realize like oh i'm seeing patterns i know how this is going to play out and i can just skip this step yeah exactly that's game Good luck.